I'm falling, I'm falling, I'm falling down the slope and I'm headed directly in the fall line to the fumarole. Now I'm starting to get hypothermic. I don't know what I got to do, but all I know is I need to get warmer. And this is exactly how people die out here in the summer. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Today, we're going to be getting into my top three most dangerous times in the wilderness. Now, I'm a pretty experienced hiker and kind of outdoorsman. You know, I've done through hikes and climbs and, and most of the time things go really, really well. But I'm going to tell you about times where it didn't go well for me and really my three kind of closest brushes with death with death that I've had. And these are going to be in, chrono in chronological order. Throughout these stories, you're going to be able to take away lessons that will hopefully if you will hopefully never get you into those situations in the first place. And if you are in those situations, maybe how to deal with them. So let's get into it. Okay, so let's start with number one here. And this is in a place called Hell's Canyon, which is in Oregon. This is kind of on the Oregon and Idaho border. Now, Hell's Canyon is, it's still, I think, the steepest terrain I have ever been in in the outdoors. And when I mean steep, I mean the cliffs on these things are just near vertical, 90 degrees, just straight down to the bottom of the canyon. And when I first moved to Oregon, this type of terrain really captured my, I don't know, my imagination. I loved it because I came from the Midwest. I never was around stuff like this before. Before I actually went out to Hell's Canyon, I knew nothing about being in being on trails or anything. And this was in about, I think, about 20, 2014 or 2015. I think it was 2014, actually. So I had just moved out to Oregon. I knew nothing. I didn't know. There was no, that I, that I can remember, there was no all trails. There was no Onyx. There was none of that stuff. I had no idea. I didn't even know what trails were to be completely honest. Like that was a foreign concept to me. I didn't realize that there was actually trails through the wilderness. I thought I came from a hunting background. So I thought you had to just figure out your own way through the, through the wilderness. So I had no trail map. I had no, didn't, didn't know where any of the trails were. It was the hottest day of the year. It was on July 4th weekend of that year. I was solo. And again, it was in the steepest train in Oregon, but of course I was totally new to this. So I was completely confident in my abilities to go out there and do this by myself. So I drove seven hours by myself all the way to Eastern Oregon. And I, I remember the drive up there was crazy. I mean, again, the, like I was doing some overlanding shit at that point, going up and over rocks. It was really tough stuff. So I started early that morning and my whole reason of being there was I was trying to scout elk for hunting. I thought I was going to find a bunch of elk. And so what I did was I took a trail at first, and then I went down this giant, giant canyon to this river. I crossed the river, and then I went back up another giant canyon. And I was up there for a few hours, and the sun was beating down on me. I was starting to get super hot, obviously, and starting to get dehydrated. And so I wanted to get back to the car. Now, I don't know how many miles I was from the car. All I know is I had that. The only thing I had on me for mapping services was the, what was it called? Earthmate, Garmin Earthmate, which they still have. But it's, I mean, if you ever use it, it's very archaic. 
So I'm trying to pick my way, my best way down. I didn't know Togo Maps. I, and so I'm just trying to find my way down these basically sheer cliffs to get down to the river, to, to get across the river, go back up to get to my car at some point. So what ended up happening was I started picking my way down a certain ravine that I found. And basically it was a almost like an avalanche chute, but it was full of rocks. It was this draw full of rocks. And so I'm carefully picking my way, picking my way, picking my way through these rocks and I slip. And so I start falling down these rocks. I'm falling and I'm falling and I have no idea what's on the other side of this cliff. And so I'm falling down these rocks and I have a giant bag on my freaking back for whatever reason. I brought like all of my stuff, which isn't helping anything. And Right before I'm about to go off of this giant cliff, there's somehow there's a sapling in the middle of this, of these rocks. So I grab the sapling as I'm flying past it. I grab it and I'm able to stop my fall right before I go over this cliff. Now the cliff was just a few feet below me and it was probably a 30, 40 foot drop. And you would have just kept going all the way down to the river. I mean, there was no trees on this slope. There's nothing there that would stop you from rolling all the way down if you somehow survived this fall. So I'm sitting there and I'm holding this sapling and I'm thinking, oh my God. So I'm, I heave myself out of this draw or uh, from this sapling and, I, and I'm just really shook, but I am able to crawl back up the rocks and pick my way back down the end of the canyon there or to the bottom of the of the river and at this point i'm super uh i mean my mind wasn't in the best state i wasn't in the best state of mind because i was like i just almost died but as i cross the river another problem crops up and that is i'm super dehydrated i had a big pump filter one of those things so i'm using that to pump water but i didn't realize the power of salt so I'm trying to get my way back up the other side of the canyon, in which case I look at the cliff that I almost fell off of, which freaks me out more. But as I'm getting up to the, or as I'm trying to get up to the top of this other canyon, I start cramping up. And I, I cramp up so bad that I have to start crawling on the trail. Like, no lie. Like, my legs are cramped up so bad that I'm crawling up this trail on all fours. And I had a Garmin inReach at the time, and I texted my girlfriend at the time, and I asked her, and I still have this text message somewhere on on the Garmin, and it says something about, hey, can you look up how or salt for cramping or something like that? Because I didn't realize, I didn't know anything of that. And she did, took a long time to get back to me. And so I just tried to eat all the salt that I had just trying to get it in my body. And eventually I was able to stand straight up and I found two limbs that I was using as basically crutches to get up to the top of the canyon and finally get back to my car. And so this whole shenanigans was really my first wake-up call and it happened extremely quickly when I moved out west and it really rattled me into thinking that this is such a different place than what I'm used to in the Midwest. Like the mountains do not care about you at all, right? And 
I think this is a very common thing for people that move from the East Coast or the Midwest to the West. This is a very different country. In fact, I was just splitboarding down Mount Sherman, where I did a big climb by myself, 14er here in, in Colorado, and I splitboarded down. And there was a gal, two gals that got stuck in the snow coming up. And, you know, just looking at where they got stuck, it's like, well, no kidding, you got stuck. Why would you keep going in that? And then they wanted, then they thought they would be able to still summit Mount Sherman when it's one o'clock in the, in the evening, sunsets at 547 PM. And they were still three miles from the summer trailhead to even get to Mount Sherman in winter conditions. And they're from Massachusetts. So that is something if you are moving out into the West, you have to pay that ignorant tax down. And hopefully it's not something that results in an, a really bad injury or, you know, obviously death. So something to keep in mind for people moving out here. My second one on the list here was when I was on the Colorado Trail in 2021. So this is from 2014 to 2021. I really didn't have too many, what is that, six, seven years. I didn't really have anything that was big that really cropped up dangerous, I guess, when I was camp or when I was doing anything. I mean, I had some run-ins with some weird people on a trail, on a, on a section hike. But in 2021 on the Colorado Trail, this is the next kind of brush with death that I guess I had. So I was basically two nights, a two-night sleep from being done with the 500-mile Colorado Trail and so I was feeling on top of the world. Like I had gone through thunderstorms. I had gone through a huge rash on my legs. I had got hitches. I got all of this stuff and I had beaten all of these obstacles. So I was feeling really on top of the world at the Colorado trail at this point. And so this day in particular started out just like any other day, which was clouds were gathering and in the, on the horizon, starting to get bigger, starting to get darker. And in fact, a couple of days prior, I was actually in the middle of a wide open space at 13,000 feet when a thunderstorm came in at midnight, actually, and scared the crap out of me. And, and later that day or the next day, I actually was on trail and I talked to a girl that had gone through it. She was coming the opposite way. And I was like, dang, man, that would suck, you know, to be real in, in, into one like that. And thankfully, for the most part, I had ducked most of the thunderstorms uh during the monsoon season in colorado that year and this was a time where when i was talking to locals they had said this is one of the worst and longest monsoon seasons that they had ever seen in colorado like not typical at all not a 20-minute thunderstorm it was a two-hour three-hour thunderstorm that that people were getting hit by or that colorado was getting hit by this year so i was in the middle of this doing the colorado trail and I shouldn't say that I did get hit with a few thunderstorms, one right over uh, Breckenridge and into Copper Mountain where I had to get a hotel because I was soaked. Anyway, so this day started out like any other clouds are building, not that big of an issue. And later on in the afternoon, I get up to this high point and I look back and I'm at and I, you can actually see this on the documentary. And I actually uploaded an Instagram story about this. And I, I even say wow, those are some huge clouds over there. And they had looked like they were moving opposite to me. And so I record the story saying, oh, like, I'm glad that I'm not, I'm not in that, that area that these clouds are moving to, right? And 
when I get up to this high point, there's some thunder going on and I'm thinking, yeah, that's kind of weird. I mean, it seems to be so far away, but I don't know. I don't know why there would be thunder and, and wind starts kicking up and there's these mountain bikers at the top and they're looking at the clouds too. And they talk to each other and they say, well, we better get down before this, this storm moves in and they just blaze down the hill. I mean, they probably were ahead of this, you know, that's what really made me think, wow, I should be on a freaking mountain bike. Those things are savage. I get up to them. They say that they're gone. So I'm the only one on the top of this mountain, really high above tree line. And the wind starts kicking up. And I think, oh, that's not good. And I'm seeing these clouds now start moving towards me with lightning in them. So I start getting my rain gear on. And at that point, that grapple starts just pelting me in the face, which is, grapple is basically freezing rain and hail is, I guess, the best way to describe it. And so I'm getting starting to get peppered by this stuff, right? And I see treeline, which is about a mile downhill. Thankfully, it's downhill. And I so I just start running for it. And as I start running, I am just getting hammered with all of this grapple and rain and it's thundering and it's lightning all around me. And I'm the only person up there. Again, this is in my Colorado Trail documentary. I'll actually link it on this into the time. So you, cause you can see this play out in real time. So my idea is I'm going to get to the tree line. I'm going to sit under the trees. Obviously I'm going to wrap myself in my Tyvek sheet that I have, and I'm going to be not wet. So I get under the trees and it's raining so hard. And, and I think that I, this is a great idea and it's raining so hard that the, the rain is coming through the trees and it's just thunder, lightning everywhere around me. Boom, bang, boom. And it's just pouring. And I'm sitting there for 20 minutes or so and I'm thinking that this thing's going to pass. And at this point, it's been going on for about 30 and, and it's not passing. It's In fact, it's it's ramping up. And I'm starting to get colder and colder as the minutes pass by because my frog togs jacket completely wet through. My Tyvek sheet is not keeping me dry at all. And so I'm just sitting there thinking, holy shit, like, what do I do? And a thought crossed my head that I should probably set up my tent. But if I did that, I'm going to have to get even more soaked to even set that up. And then the tent inside is going to be soaked. So I'm going to be soaked at night and I'm thinking there was no good options for me. And so the storm is getting worse and worse and I'm still sitting there. I'm getting colder and colder and I'm starting, now I'm starting to shiver. I'm starting to shake and I'm thinking, Oh God, now I'm starting to get hypothermic. I'm thinking my brain's starting to work slower and I'm thinking, okay, I gotta, I don't know what I gotta do, but all I know is I need to get warmer. And so I just get up and I just start walking. And so it's still raining, all that stuff. I start going downhill. And thankfully, the trail starts going uphill. So I start getting a little bit warmer. My muscles are getting a little bit, little bit warmer as I start going uphill. And finally, the storm stops. But I'm still freezing. And I had these, I had a Columbia button-up. And it was a long sleeve shirt. And I had it, I had the buttons all the way up as I was hiking in the afternoon, cause it was hot. And when I went to undo the buttons to try and get myself warmer and make it a long sleeve shirt to, and then button it around my cuff, I couldn't do it. My fingers were not working at all. Like 
And so that's where it really hit me that a lighter would be totally useless in this situation. And that's how people freaking die out here. And this is exactly how people die out here in the summer. When you hear somebody getting hypothermic in the summer, you're like, what? But when you are, it's an 80 degree day. And then all of a sudden it, it goes down to 40, which is exactly what it did here. And you're soaking wet. You're not prepared for that. And so that's what was happening to me. And so, you know, even though I had been through so much on the Colorado trail and I was almost done, I had, I had been through all these obstacles. I was almost done with it. You can never let your guard down, especially when you're in the mountains like that, because just when you think you have everything figured out, it slaps you in the face. And that's exactly what it did with me. And so I had two days left on the Colorado trail and I was hyper vigilant of the storms after that point. And, you know, it took me forever to dry out that night. And if the next day was raining again, I, that would, I would not have been in a good place. Thankfully in Colorado, it was basically sunny in the morning, afternoon thunderstorm. Clears up at night, sunny in the morning, afternoon thunderstorm. And so I was able to dry my stuff out, especially the next morning. But man, that was definitely my closest brush with death in terms of hypothermia. Okay, next up happened in March of 2023. So almost a year ago now. So we went from 2021 to 2023. So we're, you know, we're getting less and less duration in between these things. So this happened on Mount Hood. So this was my third time up climbing Mount Hood. And the the first time that I did it, I was kind of freaked out because I was getting hit with ice chunks, was able to summit, came down. The second time I did it, I did it by myself, actually, totally solo, split boarded it. And so in my head, I had everything nailed for this third ascent of it. You know, I had my boot and my crampons. I needed two ice axes. Everything was dialed for this third ascent up Mount Hood. Now, if you know anything about Mount Hood, it, this is one of the most dangerous mountains in the U.S., number one, because so many people climb it. Number two, because there's a lot of ice fall with it. And number three, a lot of people can get lost up there due to the Mount Hood Triangle, which I actually had a buddy I did a podcast with that I had a buddy that actually got in a whiteout up there, totally got lost and had to get rescued. So there's all these things around Mount Hood that are super dangerous, even though it looks like it's right next to Timberline Lodge, which again, lulls people into this false sense of security. So I didn't have anybody to go with on this third time, and I wanted somebody to go with. And so I met a guy in a Facebook group, and we, we became good friends actually after this. But we ended up meeting, and we started quite late because we wanted to – our whole idea was we wanted to actually snowboard from the summit of Mount Hood. And in this, as you're later in the day, the snow gets softer to ride in. It becomes corn snow. But – on the other hand, especially on Mount Hood, this can be a grave mistake because there's more chances of ice fall. On Mount Hood, you want to start super early because as it warms up, a lot of fall, a lot of falling rock and a lot of falling ice can occur. But we started late because we wanted to snowboard down. So we climbed 4,000 feet to what's called Devil's Kitchen. And basically, we put our boards on our back and we started heading up towards the summit. So we put our boards together. We're heading up towards the summit. And the problem with Mount Hood is that the two routes that you have to get up there, which is called the Prilly Gates on the right, and then you have Old Shoot on the left, both of them are no fall zones because there's giant fumaroles at the bottom of these things. And what fumaroles are, are basically holes in the mountain that you, 
if you fall, you slide into, and then you're in these terrible poisonous gases chambers, essentially. And so many, many people have died because of this. So we decide to go up Old Chute, which again is right above a, a big fumarole at the bottom. That's exactly where the fall zone goes. And I had been up Old Chute for my first time. So I kind of knew the route. And I also knew there was a variation route called the Mazama Chutes off of Old Chute. Now, because we started so freaking late, there was a couple problems. One was that there was a lot of people up there. And number two, there was ice starting to fall already. So the main route into Old Chute was off to our left. I was above my buddy. And we're waiting for the clog of people to start coming down Old Chute. And as these people are squeezing through the chute, ice is falling everywhere, obviously. And so we're trying to get out of the ice fall zone. So we're staying off to the right. So I was starting to get super impatient with these people coming down. And because I knew of a variation, I said to my buddy, I was like, I'm going to go try to do this variation route. And he's like, oh, man, I don't know if that's a good idea. And I'm like, well, it's probably better than trying to get waiting here and then getting hit by ice. So I was feeling super confident, and I just went up by myself. I had my two ice axes, boom, 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 boom. I'm flying up here. And I have my two ice axes in the snow. Again, this is a pretty steep angle. And as my ice axes are plunged into the snow, I look up, and in the chute that I'm going to climb, a giant piece of ice releases. Big. I mean, not one where you can just eat it. It was one where you need to get out of the way. And so that's what I did. I got out of the way. So I moved to my left very quickly. But in the process of doing that, I let go of both of my ice axes. Stupid. So the ice falls past me. I let go of both of my ice axes. And now the next thing I know is I'm falling down the slope. And I look up and I remember my ice axes just stuck in the freaking snow. And then one starts to fall. So I have nothing to self-arrest with. And I'm headed directly in the fall line to the fumarole. And Dan, my buddy, is right below me. And so I'm falling, I'm falling, I'm falling down the slope. And the only thing I can think of to do is to try and kick my crampons in to the snow to be able to arrest myself. Now, this is typically a really not a really good thing to do because of the fact that when you do that, you're going to be flipping backwards, right? And then now you're going backwards on the slope because basically you're, you're sticking it in and now you're flying backwards and your momentum. And so... But I was going, and so I had slid about 20 feet, and the snow, thankfully, was soft enough that when I kicked them in, I actually came to a stop somehow. So I come to a stop, and I look down, and Dan's right there, my buddy, and somehow my left ice axe arrests itself right next to Dan. So it's sticking straight into the snow right next to Dan, and I just tell him, I said, grab that ice axe and get up here because I need something. Because if another piece of ice releases, I don't have anything to arrest with. So he grabs my, he grabs my ice axe, gets it up to me. I get, climb up to the other one. And now I, I, I stay out of the, the way of both 
of the people coming down and then the ice coming out of the other chute. And eventually we climb up through old chute, we summit and we snowboard basically from the summit down and to the base. This accident really rattled me for weeks. I remember calling my girlfriend after it and telling her what happened and just saying like, what would have happened if I would have died? My, my parents would have been distraught. You would have been distraught. It was like this whole thing, right? And so, and everything happened so quickly. And that was probably the scariest part about this. And even if you have all the right gear, you can totally be at the wrong spot at the wrong time and still have an accident, no matter what your experience is. And so that was probably out of these three, the scariest one, because I just felt so prepared and I had so much experience at this point, especially from 2014. I mean, that's almost a decade of experience, but this still almost happened to me to where I almost died. And so the one thing I also thought about with this is that the mountains obviously don't care and that statistics on mountains can be misleading. Maybe there's five deaths a year on Mount Hood, but you aren't hearing about all of these close, super close calls, just like I'm telling you happened with me. And so that can be kind of misleading for people that have a, no experience trying to go up and climb these mountains. So, and, and there's, there's, a, there's a quote that always resonates in my head from John Krakauer, who's a, who wrote the book about the big, av, big accident on, on Everest. And he said, he said, this forms the nub of a dilemma that every Everest climber eventually comes up against. In order to succeed, you must be exceedingly driven. But if you're too driven, you're likely to die. And so that was a quote that I wrestled with for months after this accident. And it took me a while to stop being beaten, beating myself down with this accident and getting back into the mountains. And, and from it, I have become a lot more conscious and aware, especially of things like rock fall and ice fall, which if you ask a lot of mountain guides, that's their number one fear. It's not falling or whatever. It's, it's getting hit by something that you're not seeing coming. So next time you're in the mountains, even if you're doing a, just a regular third class 14er, you know, these are things that can happen. So if you learn something from this, please give a five-star rating on Spotify and subscribe. Also subscribe on YouTube. That would really sincerely appreciate that. And I will uh, catch up with you guys next time. Thanks.